What's up, everybody? I am the Connections Pastor. Adam, if you are new or visiting, thank you for hanging out with us today. Uh, you did pick a, an interesting Sunday as we have just gone from one service for like the last three or four months, and now we are running on fumes as the employees having to do two times, right? It's a double header today, but we're, we're going to give it all we got. And I'm excited for the message today. I love the worship that Marcus and the team put together. The songs were just so perfect for what's coming, and so I hope I can do it justice. We have been going through this series called The Power to Change, and it's really about uh, what we call the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's these characteristics or attributes that can be uh, noticed in someone who is following after a relationship with Jesus. And so I want to, before we dive into the, the two that I've been assigned, goodness and kindness, I want to just go over the theme verse here with us. It's up on the board. And it's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we've spent the last few weeks going over love, joy, peace, and patience. And one of the things that has been made crystal clear to me throughout this series is that those are not default settings for me. That's not how I wake up in the morning and I'm just ready to go. There is this acute awareness in my insufficiency to be Christ-like. I just know that I can't always be on and it bothers me because there's an achiever that lives inside of me. I want to present well, and I want to perform well, and I want to do my very best to represent the brand of Christianity. I have that desire, but I'm unable to do it on my own. And I just want to encourage you today, if you're just kind of on your way exploring what Jesus is all about, or if you're somebody who has been on the journey for a while and kind of feel maybe like you're in a dry season spiritually, I want to encourage you and let you know that all of those attributes are very attainable to people like you and me who maybe don't wake up in the morning feeling that way. And as I studied for this particular sermon on goodness and kindness, one of the things that God impressed upon me to share is that these attributes, these are results they're not requisites. They're not required to enter the pool of Christianity. And I think sometimes we get that kind of misguided conception that, oh, to, to go to church, I have to clean up well. I've got to love. I've got to have peace. And I don't have any of that, so I shouldn't go to church because God will strike the building with lightning and then everybody will run out screaming and it will all be my fault. That's not the case. None of us show up here with all of these attributes, with everything figured out. It is a result of a growing friendship with Jesus. And so let me, uh, let me show you the second verse that we've been using uh, thematically here. And this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So that's a mouthful, right? We don't always 
get the breakdown. So let me break that verse down just a little bit in context with what I'm trying to tell you. All who contemplate, those of us who think about or are on this journey with Jesus, we're invested in it. We're trying to seek and find who he is. All that contemplate, think on, go after the Lord's glory are being presently, continually, always being transformed into his image, looking more and more like Jesus, with ever-increasing or always becoming, we're always growing, we're always being worked on, or in the religious world we say sanctified, sanctification. And you know who that comes from? It doesn't come from you. It says it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's important for those investigating Jesus to understand And really, for those of us who maybe aren't the best representatives all the time, to not feel discouraged because we can live up to those things. And Jesus tells us how. Jesus tells us how to be fruitful for his kingdom. Let's look at what he says in John chapter 15. We get this really beautifully written scripture about who he is and who we are in the light of him. He says this in verse 4. He says, remain in me. As I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we cannot force this spiritual growth in our life. As I read that, I get this image, probably because it used to be me, of a little boy, or maybe even one who was like in his early 20s, standing in front of the mirror trying to grow a beard. And you just squeeze and you push as hard as you can, and you're trying to sprout that beautiful red Notre Dame-looking fighting Irish red beard, but go, Buckeye. O-H? There we go. Okay, we're all still together. But I get that image of this little boy trying his hardest to look like his dad. And he can't do it. You can't force that. It takes time. It's a journey. It's a process. And the same is true for children of God who are doing their best to look just like their dad. We can't force it. We have to trust that Jesus is doing his work in us. And we need to be confident in his promises and simply remain with him. That's the promise that he offers us. You see, Paul calls it ever-increasing. Jesus calls it remaining. I say just stay on track. Stay the course. Stay on the journey. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep asking. And in his time, you'll begin to produce more fruit for the kingdom, but you cannot force it. Now, you also can't fake it. Okay, and I'm guilty of that in my life. I have played church before. I have shown up, sit, stand, kneel, do the thing, go to the event, shake the hand, kiss the baby. Never kiss the hand and shake the baby. Don't ever do that. But I've played that role where you just kind of like get into this routine of church and it becomes kind of boring and you're just there to be there, to show somebody that, oh yeah, I'm here, you know. But you can't fake it. And then there's, there's a really convicting story in Scripture that I want to share with you today. And it just helps me. 
uh, in my walk. But I like the imagery of this story where Jesus is with his disciples. It's a really strange story. He's the Messiah. He's here to, to take on the sin of the world and forgive sins and restore us to right standing with God. And it tells us that he curses a fig tree, like the crazy guy in your neighborhood just yelling at the plants, right? Like, it talks about this. And it's in Mark chapter 11, verses 12 and 14. It says this, the next day they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. This causes me to take a personal inventory of my journey. Where am I at in that ever-increasing process that Paul refers to? Am I just dressing up like a Christian? Am I just kind of making it seem from a distance that I've got what God's offering But what would happen, even if I could fool you, right? I could fool people for a little while. What would happen if Jesus came close to my life? What if Jesus was hungry for something that you had to offer and he came to you? Would he find it? Or are you just kind of playing around? That's really convicting to me. What if the tree saw Jesus coming, right? Couldn't he have forced the fruit out? No, because growing takes time. It's a process. You can't force it. And you can't fake it for long. And you might be able to confuse people or trick people, but when Jesus comes close, is there fruit that he is hungry for in your life? The fruit of the Spirit is a result. It's not a requisite. And it's for those who choose to remain in Jesus. So now that we've got that squared away, all right, we're going to talk about goodness and kindness And Alex, he gave me these two because he's like, there's no one gooder and no one kinder than you are, Connections Pastor Adam. No one gooder. No, these seem really self-explanatory, right? Like these traits seem like, yeah, yeah, I know what goodness is. I know what kindness is. But you're not going to get that low level. I'm going to dig deep for you guys this morning, all right? Because while I stayed up to watch the game, I put in the work early in the week knowing that the people of Polaris needed a message today. So I dug deeper, and we are going to speak in Greek today. Who speaks Greek? Good. Nobody will know. Who said that? Oh, Ben does. Well, Ben speaks Greek. Ben, can you leave for a minute? Ben, they're paging you in the kids' room. Actually, you know what? That's a great transition, man, because I do want to plug just for a minute. If you are not in a community group here at Polaris, you're really missing out. Because one of the things that we talked about at our men's Bible study the last week was that some of the words that we use in English don't really tell the whole story of what it's trying to drive home. There are some different meanings behind some words that we use all the time. For instance, like if I said, I love nachos, and then in the next breath I said, I love my wife, I hope you would know that there's like more meaning to I love my wife than there is to I love nachos. But the English language doesn't do a great job of that. And so for the words goodness and kindness, I wanted to explore that. And, and it's not always the case. Sometimes it just is what it is. Like, you know what goodness means in the Greek? It's, it's pronounced, Ben, you know off the top of your head? Good, good. Let me tell you, sir. It is agathosine or agathosign, depending on which hood you come from in Greece. Do you know what that means? It means 
doing good. See, we knew that one. English does that one justice. There was no extra juice in that squeeze. But kindness, kindness has a little bit more oomph behind it because the word trestotes is derived from a word trestos, which means useful. Useful kindness. And that's different. That hits a little different. So the, the goodness and the kindness that Paul is describing uh, attributing to the Christian person following after Jesus is a useful kindness. It's a useful good works. You know, we hear a lot about these random acts of kindness, and I don't want to thwart any of you from paying for me in the drive-thru. Keep doing the random acts of kindness, because I frequent the coffee shops. So keep paying for the person behind you. It might be me. I don't want to prevent you from doing that. They're great things. It's very nice to do that. But the type of kindness that Paul is talking about is an intentional kindness. It's not random at all. It's intentional. It puts aside preference. It puts aside opinion and stereotype. And it's kind to those who may be undeserving. Maybe those who don't look like us or act like us or live like us or believe like we do. It's a type of kindness, truly, that would only come from the power of Christ living inside of you. Because we don't all wake up wanting to do good for the person that's got the MAGA hat on or the person that's riding with Biden. You know, like those two people don't want to serve one another right now, right? We're being called into that type of service, though, and that type of kindness. And fortunately, Scripture provides us with a beautiful story, a beautiful passage where we will see some useful kindness. Now, if everybody would just reach under the seat in front of them, grab a Bible, we'll turn the lights up just a little bit. We are going to turn to Luke chapter 10, and this is on page 1041, 1041, Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read a story that is world famous, even for people who never heard of church before. You know this story. And to put it into context, Jesus is in this debate with one of the experts of the law, somebody who would have had some clout, and they're trying to justify their actions on who they love and who they're good to and who they're kind to. And and they ask, well, Jesus, who really is our neighbor? And so this is where Jesus kind of sets them straight. Everybody there? 1041, verse 30 on the left-hand side. Start reading. It says, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by On the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, right? I like, when I read stories like this, I like to kind of immerse myself into it because it's all about me. Scripture was written for Adam and Adam only. But I like to figure out which of those characters I am. And I like you, you know, the parishioners here, to kind of think about that story. Which of those characters are you? I'll tell you which ones you shouldn't be. Don't be the priest. And don't be the Levite. You see, the two characters, the priest, the Levite, this sounds like a joke. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan were walking into church. Don't be the person who has the title but doesn't have anything real. It doesn't have anything useful. You see, the priest would have been looked at as a godly person, someone who should have been good and should have been kind. And maybe they were a little bit, but it wasn't that trestos, that useful kindness. The same with the Levite, the people who had been assigned to helping God in the temple. He had the title. Surely he would be kind. But those two religious Types went away from, walked away from, and some of their rules maybe even kept them from helping that man. So it's not necessarily that they were bad people, but their kindness was not useful. God's not interested in religious fruit. He wants real fruit. He wants real, useful fruit. So don't be the priest and the Levite. Let me offer my thoughts on this story of who I am. I'll tell you who I am. I believe I start as the victim, but I believe I'm called to be the Samaritan. And I think we all are. You see, there is an enemy that John 10.10 says, a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Maybe to rob you, just like the man on the journey. Leave you half dead, on the side of the road, beaten, bloody, helpless. I've been in that season of life. The enemy has tried his best and oftentimes succeeded in leaving me that way. And there have been times where I've looked to religion or I've looked to religious people and they've kind of excused themselves from my circumstance. Maybe my circumstance was a little too messy for them to associate with. It didn't quite fit into the box of the rules that they followed. But then there was this man who came along my path, and he was a rule breaker. Man, he would heal people on the Sabbath. He would would pick wheat when they were hungry on the Sabbath. He would break the rules of religion. He would upset the apple cart, and he didn't go around my circumstance. He saw me, and he took pity. And like the good Samaritan, he began to meet me where I was and dress up my wounds and help restore me. And then he, he scooped me up, and he, he put me on his donkey, and he walked beside me as he took me on this new journey. And he led me to a community of people who were also there to rest and be restored and be healed under the care of an innkeeper. 
And then he said, I'm going to pay for you. And he paid a price that I could not pay, that I could not earn, that I couldn't work off, that I couldn't have even mustered up the courage to ask for on my own. He met me, saw pity, had mercy, did something about it, and then paid my tab. But then did you catch what the Samaritan said? And this is where I think this is just a cool turn in the story. He told the innkeeper that when I come back, I'll settle the debt. I'll settle the rest of it. Jesus paid that price for you and I, and he plans on returning. And when he does, he'll take care of the rest. So you and I can be useful, be kind, be the good Samaritan to the undeserving because we were once undeserving. We were once half dead. When I see myself as the victim in the role of this story, it's very easy to see Jesus as the good Samaritan. But Jesus is not the superhero that comes in and says, I'm, you know, I'm always going to save the day. No, he assigns a calling to each of us. We're the victim, but we're called to be the Samaritan. He says, go and do likewise. And so what's really neat, about this authentic goodness and this useful kindness, the reason we can do it, the reason we can have that attribute in our life is because we know exactly what it feels like to be on the receiving end of it. And in 1 John 4, verse 19, it simply says this. It's so well put. We love, we are kind, we are good. Why? Because he first loved us. He was good to us. He was kind to us. Useful goodness, useful kindness. It cannot be faked. It cannot be forced. And sometimes you cannot even feel it. I'll call the band back up. You guys can come up. And I just want to share as I prepared for this sermon, I want to tell you how nerdy I am. I have a whiteboard in my office. I was so excited to get it, the dry erase markers, you know. And I do it because like when I get a thought, I'll run down and I'll just write the thought. And so for the message, I'm like, you can't fake the fruit. You can't force the fruit. Like, I should write a song about fruit, man. Like, this is good. And one morning before school, my, my fifth grader, Mackenzie, she came in and she wrote this, uh, this message on the, the whiteboard. And it says, be kind, be a leader, do your best. I love you. I am proud of you. And if you know and do all of that, you will have a great day. That is a mantra that I have shared with them daily as I drop them off at school. And I don't get it right, but maybe once every five days. There are days where I call Lindsay and I'm like, I wrecked the kids today. <laughs> they're broken, for sure. But regardless of how I feel, and regardless of if they're giving me the silent treatment or their eyes are rolled to the back of their head, I say it and I just repeat it because I want them to know. Now, regardless of how you feel today, Regardless of the season that you feel yourself in, God wants you to know that you can be kind, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's walking with you on this journey. Some of you, he's waiting for you to just turn to him. You can't always feel the fruit. And God speaks to us through his scripture. Are you in the word? Are you reading your Bibles? You might not always feel like doing that 
You may read it and not feel it, but man, there'll be a time in your life where you feel that fruit just kind of come out and like, man, God tells me who I am. I know who I am because of who Christ says I am. And I know what he says I am because I read his word and I get in the Bible and I get with the people in the church. Jesus is rooting for you. He's cheering for you. He's walking with you. And you're being followed. You're actually being followed. And King David uh, writes the most famous psalm, Psalm 23. And after all of the peaks and the valleys of his life where he was a shepherd boy, he was an adulterous murderer, he was the king of Israel and real successful, all these peaks and valleys, he writes this in Psalm 23, 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You're being followed. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of Jesus' work in your life is following you, remaining in relationship with him. The next generation of believers, the next generation of Christians, they're following you. They're looking at how you love, how you live, how you lead, and they're going to do it just like what they see. And surely, the Father's goodness and his kindness and his love is following you all the days of your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love, for your mercy, for your goodness and your kindness that pursued after me, chased me down, walked beside me, and was so favorable. God, I pray for all those here today uh, in their journey that they would see you, be aware of you, and surrender to you, Lord, and just walk beside you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.